We've been teaching on family and marriage for, I guess, four or five weeks now. That's kind of our new series. And we started in the book of Genesis. So let's just review a little bit. I'm going to advance a little bit further. I've had to lay a very thorough foundation because I was sharing with our helps training yesterday. I can teach against homosexuality from the Bible. and I can preach against all sorts of sin from the Bible. And I don't really get any kind of kickback till I start teaching on men's and women's roles based on the Bible. I don't feel any opposition, even in our region, on any subject I teach. Not even tongues anymore. I can preach on tongues. I can stop and pray in tongues. And I don't feel the kickback I do like when I say, this is what a man is supposed to be in a marriage, and this is what a woman is supposed to be in a marriage. And it really is shocking to me how much opposition there is in this country against biblical gender roles. Because they are prescribed by the Bible, even though a lot of churches are trying to say there are no biblically assigned gender roles. Even, even some of your more mainstream evangelical movements now are getting into all this women's liberation stuff. And I honestly, let me just, I'm not the right color or the right gender, because remember, there's only two of them. I'm not the, I don't have the right parts to make this complaint, but it's my pulpit so I'm going to make this complaint. I really don't see where women are disenfranchised in this nation. I really don't see it. Uh, in our church, we have more female PhDs than we do male PhDs. We have a female vice president. We have a female uh, uh, congressional leader, house rep, house, whatever, Pelosi. We have female Fortune 500 CEOs and entrepreneurs. I, I just... I get it when the world cries pagan foul. I don't get it when the church has hopped on board this crazy train. But the problem is if you can get the church to believe it, then you can begin to compromise the church. And so one thing is for sure, especially if you look at the Bible in light of maybe military tactics, if every person does their job, the job gets done. But if you can get the artillery guy to not do artillery, and if you can get the surveillance guy not to do surveillance, then the whole project is scrapped. And if you can get men to relinquish their God assignment, and you can get women to relinquish their God assignment, God's assignment doesn't get accomplished. And that's really what we're doing and dealing with. We know that the spirit of the age is the spirit of lawlessness. Lawlessness is do what you want. Lawlessness is do as you will, when you will, as you will. And the Bible does not permit that. We have strict protocol. If I'm going to have a beautiful marriage, I have to do my job as a husband. And, and I think even common sense understands that husbands have a role different than women do. And so as I've been saying this and just trying to very gently teach it, though most of you are on board with me, I don't feel like I get any kickback from our congregation. But just to even teach it, I get a lot of blowback in the spirit. And I don't mean to sound spooky on you, but I know how to affect things by what I say. So that's why we've been theologically laying down this line of ontological Trinitarianism so we understand there's an ontology to the Trinity's existence. Remember this for two weeks? Ontology just is the study of existence. So when we talk about the Trinity, there's an ontological study. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Ontologically speaking, three persons, one God, all equal. But then we kick over into what's called economic Trinitarianism, which means even though there are three persons and one Godhead, they don't all have the same role. It is a worthy study, and maybe we'll get into it. It would be a Wednesday night type thing for us to see what is the current day ministry of the Father, what is the current day ministry of Jesus Christ, and what is the present day ministry of the Holy Ghost, and you'll find they're all different based on New Testament teaching. Because where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of the seated in heaven. Who's in the earth? Different ministry. So who liveth forevermore to make intercession for us? Jesus. Who's giving us the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, not Holy Spirit. It wasn't a, wasn't a trick question. <laughs> Called the gifts of the Spirit because they're from the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right. I guess we're going to review a little longer now, but at least you're interacting and not checking your phone. So then you have what's called economic Trinitarianism, where you see how the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the uh, economic Trinitarianism, when you see how the members of the Godhead, three persons, one God, interact with each other and how they interact with us. And that brings us to the theological uh, concept of economic subordinationism, which says that there is 
for lack of a better term, let me use it for our local vernacular, there's a pecking order in the Godhead. Jesus said, thy will, O God, I have come to do. So the Son is submitted to the Father. Okay, He became obedient unto death. He said, not my will, your will be done. They're equal, though. But there's a subordination. There's a submission. And then Jesus said in John's gospel, I will pray to my Father, and he will send you the Holy Spirit. So Jesus asked the Father. The Father submits to the Son, sends the Holy Ghost to the church. And yet the Holy Ghost will not speak of himself, but whatever I, Jesus speaking, whatever I tell him to speak, that will he speak of, and he will glorify me. So then we see the Holy Spirit is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So yet we have unity in the Trinity, but there is a subordination. Now that's important because if we get it, and the Trinity is the greatest mystery of the whole Bible, three persons, one God, if we understand how it works there, and that they have different roles and different assignments, and by them the will of the Father is accomplished, how can we not apply that to the marriage? And the reason is because most Christians in America are ignoramuses when it comes to anything doctrinal, except that I'm going to have my best Tuesday ever, and I'm going to get my blessing on, and the Lord wants me rich. <laughs> yeah, and your Christianity is about thimble deep. So now we're married, husband and wife. First Peter 3 tells us that we're joint heirs together of the grace of life. And that if I don't honor my wife as my co-equal, my joint heir, my prayers will be hindered. But I'm also to honor her as the weaker vessel, which means we're not equal. Okay, I think this is simple. And we also know that the husband is the head of the home. That's not some old 1950s patriarchy. That's a God-ordained patriarchy. And if you have a problem with the patriarchy, God calls himself a father... Therefore, he establishes the patriarchy. Now, can the patriarchy be abused? Absolutely. Can a politician abuse their office? Can a professor? So anything can be abused. But it doesn't change the divine design of it originally. Even in the animal kingdom, there is a patriarchy. Even among a pack of dogs, you have what is called the alpha male. You guys are guessing wrong answers this morning. It's not filling the blank. Like, you should know these answers. Alpha male. Even if we believed in evolution, evolution would say this is how it works. We don't believe in evolution. I mean, you might. I don't. I think it's an insult to think I came from a monkey. Because if I did, where's my tail? I could sure use one sometimes. <laughs> and what kind of fashion nonsense would we would develop to cover those things up? And, and this generation would pierce it. I mean, it would look like a shower curtain. Just ring, 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 ring. First Corinthians chapter 11. So we're just reviewing. If, if Jesus redeemed us, the Father didn't. The Holy Ghost empowers us, Jesus doesn't. It's all according to the will of the Father. The Father gave us the gifts of the Father in Romans 12. The Lord Jesus gave us the gifts of the Son in Ephesians 5. And the Holy Ghost gives us the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Even the members of the Godhead give different gifts to the church. The grace gifts of the Father, seven of them in Romans chapter 12. Jesus gave us the five gifts of the church, which Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, Teacher, Ephesians 5. And then the Holy Ghost gives us the nine gifts of the Spirit. Even the gifts they give us are totally different. Graces, offices, manifestations. Yet, that's ontological subordinationism. And in our marriage, we have, uh, excuse me, economic subordinationism. In our marriage, we have economic subordinationism as, as well. We submit one to each other. We subject ourselves to each other in marriage, and yet somebody has to be the head. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's see if we, where we want to start here. Beginning in verse 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every of the woman is the man. Now, this isn't talking about just genders or male and female in general. We know the, con the, the concept or the construct is, is marriage because we're talking about the woman. Uh, as a woman, you don't just submit to any man. We understand the bigger picture of the Bible is you submit to the chain of command. I submit to the 16-year-old girl at Wendy's when she says, sir, that's going to be $9. I submit to that woman. 
because she's in a place of authority. And if I want my burger, I'm going to give her nine bucks. And that's being submitted to her. So we don't have a problem with men submitting to women. All right, but we understand the concept is always you submit whoever stands in the seat of authority. Even as Jesus taught the lepers, go show yourselves to the Pharisees and give the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them, for they sit in the seat of Moses. So the Lord is all about us honoring those who are in the seat of authority. This is not saying every woman has to submit to every man. That is ridiculous, and that's not the, con the, uh, the heart here. The head of the woman is the man, or we'd say the head of the wife is the husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we lay that out really straight. Now you see this. Let's read it again slowly. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. There's that subordinationism again. The head of Jesus Christ is the Father. So look at the chain of command it presents here out of order. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the husband, the wife. We get it. But aren't the Father and the Son equal? Yes. Isn't the husband and the wife equal? Yes. But there's a chain of command. I think we get this. I want you to understand it because as our nation goes more and more woke... Woke isn't just a black thing. Woke is a lawless thing about totally inverting the law of God to bring sheer hell and chaos and anarchy into the earth. Woke is total anarchist lawlessness. If you're into that, you need to study your Bible a little closer. And let me just be clear. I'm not up for police shooting anybody that doesn't need to be shot. I'm all for police shooting people who need to be shot. Romans 13 tells me they don't bear the sword in vain. It's real easy. Just obey. You don't understand. Don't give me that junk. That's you drinking from your own Kool-Aid. I'm all for what is right and equitable. But woke is all about transgenderism. Woke is really black transgender lives matter than anybody else's life matters. That's woke. All right? It's not God. And any preacher that marches with woke has compromised the gospel of Christ. <laughs> Because if you think lesbians, feminists, and transgenders are on the cutting edge of what God's doing in the earth, you're crazy. You are crazy. My job is to preach the gospel. All right. So come down to verse 9. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. This kind of sets the whole tone once again. I'm teaching this because as our nation goes more and more woke, we've got to understand how family's supposed to work. I, as a pastor, I, my job is families, building families. You know, we, we joke that the preacher's job is to marry, or they say hatch, match, and dispatch. That is dedicate a baby, join a couple in union, then bury somebody. That's what we do. And the problem is we also end up fixing more marriages than we should have to. And the reason we have to fix marriages is because they came together wrong in the first place or something wasn't set right. And the longer our nation moves forward in time and further away from the Bible, we're going to have more and more lukewarm pseudo-Christians marrying other lukewarm pseudo-pagans, producing hell on earth in a home, raising kids up in that who are then worse than them, who then go off and get married and reproduce more kids. We, we can't argue that our nation is dissolving because of parenting bad parenting. Even in this church, you guys aren't all good parents. <laughs> we got quiet on me. I had some amens going there. I was like, whoa, we got some amens. Like, what, what? What? You should ask our children's workers. If you had the courage to ask our children's workers, because even in our little setting, we got a lot of kids back there. There are those kids. And those kids are from that woman. Even in our church, as anti-woke as I am, and as hard on the word of God as I am, we still have feminism coursing through some of us, producing those kids. And the reputation of some is, you, you can't let that mama know she wasn't, she'll always side with the kid. Rather than the folks I permit to work back there and, and oversee. That's why we installed cameras, so we can prove your kid's a brat. I got evidence. They punch everybody. So who are they learning that from? Mom, you or dad? This is fun. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. So I want you to know, because as we move forward, we got, we got dedicating 12, 13, 14 babies next week. That's a lot of babies we're responsible for. 
and more families coming in and we still got three or four of you are pregnant right now, so there's more babies. We got to look to the next generation because in 20 years, they'll be getting married, having kids, and it's got to be better. It can't be worse. The church is disintegrating because families are failing in their Christianity. And when families fail, kids are weird and broken and weird, broken people get married out of the will of God and they married other weird, broken people and they produce more weird, more broken kids. That is the destruction and the disintegration of our culture. That's why we teach on this. So we need to understand the Bible says, call Paul misogynistic or sexist if you want to. But Paul said, I believe by the Holy Ghost that the woman was created for the man. That goes back to Genesis 1 and 2 where we've been the last couple weeks. And so we just set this in order that woman was created for the man. Now we make this distinction according to the Hebrew from Genesis chapter 1 and, 1 and 2 that man was molded out of, he was formed from the clay. So that's a really simple form. And then after a season of time, he took the rib, God took the rib out of man and he built the woman. So we've made that distinction that Man is formed out of mud, which is not really saying much for us. But then the woman is, she's brought out of man and built. A very different word in the Greek or Hebrew. And to me, it says that women are infinitely more complexly created, designed. We know that women are multitaskers and they are like anointed octopi that have eight arms doing a hundred different things while the man is still trying to figure out what he's doing today. She's our mama's already been up for two hours. She's got everybody's lunch fixed. She's got the house clean. She's got two loads of laundry already done. They're being draped up and guys, the guy's on the edge of the bed going, what was the game last night? And he's checking his phone. She's got his lunch packed. And she knows where the bills are going. And dude is still now just trying to wake up. That's because we were formed out of dirt. <laughs> so women, if you ever get a little irritated with your husband, it is biblical to call your man a dirt bag. <laughs> and yet we intuitively know as men, our wives are very fearfully created. They are built and we, we rely on them heavily. We know that if we don't do it, they're going to pick up the slack because they're just able to. But this is how we're made. Man was made first. In Genesis 1, God calls man male and female. God refers to man as them. And then he pulls woman out of man, and now they're separate entities, and we're supposed to come back together in marriage, and both of our giftings and our sets of talents and graces come together to accomplish the vision. We have folks that don't get married for the gospel. They get married because it's culture, because it's lonely, we made the argument for two or three Sundays in a row. You don't get married because you're lonely. You don't get married because you're lusty. You get married because you're serving God and you need more help. And the two of you together can put 10,000 to flight or the two of you together can now come into the prayer of agreement or the two of you together now with the Holy Ghost is a threefold cord, not easily broken. But if you're not serving in God's kingdom according to the principles of laws of first mention in Genesis, if you're not serving, you don't really need to get married because what are you going to do with that? You're not going to glorify God. You're going to have kids and not teach them how to serve in the kingdom. The whole reason we have kids is so that God can have godly seed. But if you have no intention of making godly seed for God, why are you getting married having kids in the first place? Now God permits mankind to do it, but God permits mankind to do a lot of dumb stuff. We invent all sorts of weird things and call it entertainment. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's the will of God. I think we understand that concept called free will and sin. So just to review again, the first commandment on marriage is be fruitful and multiply. We get married, and one of our responsibilities is to have children. That also assumes God's best is a husband and a wife. God's best is two parents, opposite sex, opposite parts. That's God's best. That doesn't mean you can't effectively raise a child as a single parent, but is that God's best? Is it God's best? No, it's not God's best. It doesn't mean you couldn't adopt kids as a foster parent, but don't you think they need two parents? The inner city preachers will tell us the number one thing the inner city needs for the culture that is inner city culture, which we all know what I'm talking about. They need father figures. The inner city is devoid of father figures. They're the full-blown experiment of what happens to a culture when it's fatherless. Boys are birthed and have no figure to look up to. They don't know how to be a man. They look to music and industry, and that teaches them to replicate the culture that's so degenerate. We're not against color. We're against wicked culture. And that wicked culture begins with a broken family pattern. 
Two parents is God's best. A mom and a dad to model to those children what they're going to be when they grow up. The other day, Amanda told Bud Bud, he's three now, you're going to be a man one day. You're going to be a big boy. He said, I am? He got so excited. I'm going to be a big boy like daddy? He's like never crossed his mind. He'd ever get my size. <laughs> he was so stoked about it. He needs that in his life to say, this is what I'm going to be one day. And he just keeps looking up to his daddy. Keep looking up to his daddy. What do you look up to when you don't have a daddy? What do you look up to when you don't have a mama? This doesn't mean you go out and get yourself hooked up on Christian mingle so you can go ahead and give your kid another parent. No, no, we got to find the will of God. All right, we're talking about what is God's best because right now America settles for about fifth place. And I don't mean to indict your personal experience or where you're from or what, how you've turned out. It's not my desire or purpose to throw that under the bus, but I have to teach you the best so this next generation doesn't settle for less. So the best is two parents coming together to serve in God's garden, to have kids, to teach those kids how to serve in God's garden so the kingdom is replicated and expanded. That's the gospel. And anything apart from that is secondary. It's not God's best. To get married outside a church is not God's best. To get married with somebody who's not a Christian is not God's best. To have a single parent home is not God's best. That doesn't mean God can't redeem something along the way, but why are we settling and justifying less than God's best? Paul said, I press towards the mark of the high call. So we go up, we teach our kids the best. It is appropriate at some point in your life to tell your kids where you messed up so they don't repeat it. I hate this ignorant Southern tradition that says, well, you know, I did the same thing and it would just be hypocritical if I told them they are wrong. Don't be stupid like that. If you were dumb, say, kids, don't do it like this. It's dumb. I love my pastor friends who have more experience than me. And when I ask them for help, they'll say, let me tell you what I did wrong first. Never has a preacher friend of mine said, I'm not going to tell you what I did wrong because, you know, it'd be hypocritical for me to tell you not to do it wrong because I did it wrong. That's the first thing they want to tell me because they don't want to see me suffer the way they did as they pioneered something. Withholding your, foul, your, your fallacies from your children is selfish and prideful. That doesn't mean you go into gross detail. But you say, look, daddy did it wrong. Mommy and daddy met at a bar. Mommy and daddy met on Christian Mingle, which I think is dead wrong. And that their, their motto at one point was, sometimes God needs your help. Like, no, he does. God needs your help. God helps those that help themselves. That's not in the Bible. That's in grandma's weird doctrine is where that is. And that's next to cleanliness is next to godliness. I mean, take a bath, but don't quote it as scripture. Huh. So we were talking about God's best. And then verse 11 says, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. So even though he says twice that man is over woman, woman was made for the man, Paul comes back and he ontologically encapsulates it or he shows the economy of it, the balance of it. NIV says that nevertheless, neither one is independent of the other. I need my wife, my wife needs me. Without a woman, we have no children. Without a husband, the woman has no children. So we need both. It just keeps perpetuating itself. Even though there's a chain of command and there's a pecking order, we're not independent. So uh, hear me, because sometimes we Southerners, it's not just Southerners, I guess you could be in Jersey, or Brooklyn, or the Bronx. Sometimes men are just jerks and they'll use scripture out of context like your drunk grandma will and say, I'm your mother. You're supposed to honor me and obey me. Go get me some margarita mix. And jerk husbands will do the same thing. I'm your husband. You're supposed to submit. If you got to demand it, you're doing a horrible job leading. If you ever have to demand, submit, the Bible says submit. Yeah, I wouldn't submit to you. And I don't authorize your wife to either. Amen. Because the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't command us. He doesn't de demand us. We choose to. And the more you give your life to him, the more he requires of you. But he leads us with the love that we can't ever possibly comprehend. Paul rounds this out that says, you are, you are not independent of your wife, man. And honey, you're not independent of your husband either. So 1 Corinthians 9, or excuse me, chapter 11, kind of balances all this out together. So we begin to see this economic and this ontological aspect of marriage. What we're facing in America right now is women are being told that they don't need a man, except when they get into marriage, they find out they do need a man. The biggest frustration of women in the world right now, or in our country anyway, I would say the world, is that their husbands are not helping them. So deadbeat husbands are actually feeding the cause of feminism. 
Deadbeat husbands are feeding the cause of feminism because women have this tremendous skill set in them, but they need something to couple it to. And when husbands learn that their wife has a skill set and they won't ever help them with it, the woman ends up doing all the work. She feels like she's second class and she says, you know what, I'm better than this. And she is. And then the feminist comes along and hires her and uses her frustration to march towards a demonic cause. Let's throw this picture up. Uh, I showed this last week. I got this out of a store in Zimbabwe a couple years ago. This is the African context. Here you have the, the typical African woman. We're not picking on African culture because this transcends culture. This is just how it's reflected in African culture. You see the African woman holding three children, one on one hand, one on the other, little girl, little boy, and then she's breastfeeding uh, a toddler or an infant simultaneously. She has all the groceries on her head and her husband is a freeloader. And her husband is the only one smiling in the picture. Now, oddly enough, that picture was posted in this really high-end clothing shop where Pastor Titus took us to get some really nice Zimbabwean shirts run by women. <laughs> Entrepreneurial women who said, saw their own culture and said, this is how we're treated. Except this isn't just Zimbabwe. This is every place I've ever been in Africa. This isn't Africa. The only difference between this and America is the guy would be on the sofa with a beer gut watching ESPN while the wife does everything. I'd find a big old kind of dumpy slob, but that might offend some of you white guys. But this it just perfectly encapsulates how women are mistreated by their husbands all over the world or abused or taken advantage of, made to do all the work. He's the only one smiling. Even the children have a frown on their face. The baby's not frowning. All he knows is his belly's full. But both those little children have this sad look and I also noticed for the first time, everybody has bare feet. Except for the man who's too lazy to walk. Let's do some art interpretation now, because this, is, uh, this, is, this, this picture has preached many sermons in Africa for me. I've used it many times, trying to help husbands be men and not just sex fiends. Just because you make a baby doesn't mean you're a daddy or a husband. So I think she kind of looks gaunt. Maybe she'd look a lot healthier and happy if maybe he'd get off her back. Maybe help care for two of the children out of the three, especially if she's going to carry all the luggage on her head. And I said, well, that's cultural. I don't care where ladies carry luggage, but he ought to be carrying his fair share as well. And I understand there's a cultural thing. If men don't treat their wife like that, they're not considered men. According to Jesus Christ, if you treat your wife that way, you are not a man. And you expect her to submit to that. I would submit to that. Off the quiet. <laughs> okay. All right. What verse should we go to? 1 Peter 3. Let's go to 1 Peter 3. Let's just leave that up, if you would. Let's just let that just grind on men. <laughs> hey, don't be careful there, Jezebel. Don't be like, yeah, yeah. I'll deal with you ladies later. Uh, we're equal around here, right? Everybody wants their equality. I'll give it to you. We want our equity. We want our fair distribution. I'll give it to you. You just won't like it when you get it. <laughs> First Peter 3. <laughs> There's too many disparities. We, won't, we don't want disparities in here. We want parodies in here. <laughs> First Peter 3, chapter, uh, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Well, my favorite translation says, according to intelligent recognition. That means know your wife's strengths and weaknesses. And if you know your wife's strengths and weaknesses, you don't exploit them. Well, some men are just so dumb, they don't even know what their wife is capable of. They don't know what sets her off. Husband and women, you got to talk a little more. You, all, you always want to talk, talk, talk till you're upset. Then there's nothing to talk about. That's not fair for the man. He comes in, he realizes something's wrong. What's wrong? Nothing. Well, wait a minute. 20 minutes ago, you wanted to give me a rehash play by play of the whole day. Now, all of a sudden, you're quiet. If you want to talk, let's talk about what's the problem. Men, you got to be able to recognize when something's wrong with your wife and then go further and figure out what triggered it because it was probably you. Nay, it's probably us, right, guys? If she's that quiet, we have violated something. 
That's part of dwelling with her in intelligent recognition. Know her strengths. Know her weaknesses. Know what builds her up. Know what tears her down. Know her tipping point. Know her breakdown point. Just like you men know your car. You know when you need to change gears. You know when you change oil. You know when the tires feel low. You know your car. How come you don't know your wife like that? You can, if you hunt a lot, you can tell when your gun needs to be clean. Anything you do with your toys, you know as a man it needs to be maintenance. It's not working right. Engine sounds funny. Gun scopes off a little bit. I'm a better shot than that. Why am I tracking down into the right? You know this, but with your wife, I don't know. What's wrong? And then she has to say after 35 years, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. <laughs> now we sound like the mid-80s. <laughs> Yeah, this marriage is not happening. It's not really going well. Guys, you got to be smarter than that. I'd like to tell this story because it's my wife nailing me. <laughs> I get so tickled. I taught this in Africa one time. They loved it. it. It carried very well over in the cultural boundary. Years ago, we had just taken over the church. The Lord dealt with me to get on television, so we started our telecast. I did not want to be on television. And so we're flying back from a Dr. Barclay conference, and it's me and my wife and these three seats, and then Marlon and Amy on the other aisle seat, and there's a lady sitting next to me. It's just where we're assigned. So you're going to sit for two and a half hours next to somebody, just get to know them so it's not awkward silence if she needs to go pee or something. You want to be friendly. So I get to chatting with her. I said, what do you do? Turns out she works for public broadcasting. She's in television. So I start chatting her up about television because we're in the process of getting on television, and <laughs> The longer I talk to her, the more I feel my wife get hot. There is that, I mean, I don't even have to look. I know she, she's not happy with me. And I'm doing something wrong right now, and I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. But I'm learning a lot about television, and the Lord told me to get on television. So after about 20 minutes, I, I lean over and say, what? And she says, what do you mean, what? I said, you're upset. W what am I doing? She said, you are an intelligent man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, so help me. What am I doing wrong? I can tell you're mad at me. She said, that lady is so into you. She is totally flirting with you. I'm like, no. She said, don't be that dumb, honey. <laughs> you remember this? You do, yeah, you do now. I haven't forgot about it. I said, how can you tell she's flirting with me? She thinks you're flirting with her. I said, I ain't flirting with her. I'm trying to get us on preaching TV. Why would I flirt with her? She's not even pretty. Why would I flirt with her and just get her on? She works for PBS, you know? Why would I flirt with her? I'm trying to get us on preaching TV. She said, she's twirling her hair at you. So I said, well, I can't just be a jerk to her. So let me kind of just dial this thing back. But you know when your wife's not happy. But wives, it doesn't mean they understand why you're not happy, no matter how intelligent you might be. So I have now, like, every, if I talk to anybody, because I travel a lot, I'm on airplanes, next to people, they start twirling their hair, I start putting up a wall and turning away. <laughs> I've learned that, that, that my wife educated me that when the girl starts twirling her, I said, she knows I'm sitting next to you. And man, I said, she doesn't care. You're giving her attention. Why would I flirt with her sitting next to my wife? We're talking about being a pastor, getting on Christian, or getting on not Christian television, but public access TV. Doesn't matter. You, you're supposed to dwell with intelligent recognition. I'm thankful. We'd only been married about three years. You can feel it. It just... <laughs> That heart says, I am not happy with you. I'm angry with you. And you, she's going to make sure you know it. And you should ask. And when they ask, ladies, let them know so you can educate them. I now know how flirting works with women. They twirl their hair, apparently, even if they're bald, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and that has come in handy on a few other flights where I had to sit next to people and Usually, honestly, now when the, when the hair twirls, I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. This, I was talking to this one lady. I was going to Europe or something, and she starts twirling her hair. And I said, I just told her I'm married. I'm a preacher going to Africa. 
So I brought the phone. I said, let me show you pictures of my wife and my kids. And I have those ready so I can talk about my wife and my kids. We're going to be on this flight for the next seven hours together. You need to know I have a wife and kids. And she's a pretty wife. And I got pretty kids. And I'm a missionary. So this is not flirtation. This is just being polite. Anyway, God help us. That's why the Lord put women in our lives. (laughs) All right. 1 Peter 3, dwell intelligent recognition. If she's upset, your job husband is to assuage that. It's to pacify that. It's to be a balm of Gilead for that which is sore because she wants to be able to be confident in your presence. At the same time, women, you got to realize when your man just doesn't know any better and he doesn't mean anything by it. And, and at the same time, women can't be so thin-skinned. Don't be upset if he tells you it's the worst food he's ever eaten. Say, praise God, my job was to make you full and you don't feel full. So order a pizza. My wife keeps about eight pizzas always on tap in the freezer. She'll say, is it good? I say, we got any pizzas? <laughs> oh, what's that, ranch? We, we start with ranch. We, all, we do start with ranch. Is it any good? I don't know. Hand me the ranch. How about now? We got any pizza? No harm, no foul. She'll say, oh, phooey. I was hoping that would be a good one. It wasn't. Throw that recipe away. And then she indicts some of you ladies. Well, I got it from so-and-so. Don't ever get another recipe from her because it ain't helping nothing. That's why that lady's so skinny because nobody's eating in that household. <laughs> Maybe that's why she gave you the recipe. She's like, I don't need that. Would you like this, Miss Manda? <laughs> Giving honor. Husbands give honor. We give honor to God. We give honor to the things of God. We give honor to kings. This is what the Bible teaches us. And we give honor to our wife. That means you respect and you assign a value. Now, the baseline value you give your wife is this. She's a daughter of God. When that's your baseline value, you can't go wrong. We often forget that our wives are the daughters of God just like we are. So the baseline honor you give her is that she's a child of God. She's born again. She's blood bought. That's where you start. But it goes on to say you give honor unto the wife. You value and you treat her with the value assigned. And when you honor something, you treat it totally different. I've got, I like watches. I've got a caving watch. It's an old Timex. It's beat up. It's half falling apart. I don't give that thing any honor. I'm thankful it tells time underground. Uh, I don't give it any honor. Then I have nice dress watches. I do not take those underground caving. I don't take them hunting. I don't take them uh, camping. Those are nice dress watches. I treat it differently. When you honor things, you demonstrate your honor by how you treat it. And when you treat your wife disrespectful, you're showing you have no honor for her. So the first thing Paul or Peter has to say, remember, Peter is the married apostle. He says, you have to honor her as the weaker vessel. And we know that biblically speaking, wives have a weaker frame than we do. Now, we could argue that, like I said last week, women are able to carry a baby for nine months and then deliver that baby and then breastfeed that baby and then care for that baby and still do everything. I I don't know if that's necessarily what we want to call weaker, but we also understand they don't have the physical makeup, the endurance or the strength that men do. Even if you talk about burly bodybuilding women, I always see them with a bigger burly guy. You never see Miss Musclebound with like little pipsqueak. She's not going to get with that. She wants someone bigger and burlier than her because she wants the comfort and the safety of a man. And she's not going to find it with Mr. Squeaky. (laughs) Mr. Squeaky needs another squeakier person, right? So a weaker vessel. So if she's the weaker vessel, why is this joker right here making her do everything? Barefooted. Well, you don't understand. That's our culture. It's a wicked one. It's a wicked culture. It's a disrespectful culture. At least let her borrow your shoes, you slacker. If she's the weaker vessel, why is she treated this way? Expected to do everything. And then, as we said last week, at the end of the day, he wants sex. After she's done all the heavy lifting, getting up two hours before him, cooking, prepping, cleaning, caring for the kids. And all he does is get up in the nick of time to go to work works eight hours like everybody else does, and then is exhausted, and then comes home. Where's my dinner? How the kids put down? All right, let's get naked. She's not going to be into any of that. And you're going to kill your marriage by dishonoring the weaker vessel. If you'll bear more burdens for your wife because you are the stronger vessel, it may violate your code and your culture and your ego, but it will honor the Bible. We exalt the Bible above any culture we were raised in. 
This is not to pick on any person. Every culture is wicked in some facet. Every culture from America to Central America to Asia to Africa to Europe to uh, uh, Russia, all of it has wicked aspects that have deviated from the Word of God, if it ever had the Word of God to begin with. If you'll treat your wife as the weaker vessel and care for her, she'll, she'll treat you a lot better. My, my favorite translation says, you give honor unto her as unto fine china, a weaker vessel. Fine china is weaker than, say, Tupperware or something that's terracotta, but you treat it with extra respect and honor. It's brought out for the special meals, fine china, if some of us still remember what china was. That has nothing to do with Asia. I don't know, well, like, yeah, I know why it's called fine china. They call it china ware. It's very fine porcelain. You also give great honor unto her as being heirs together of the grace of life. So we honor her because we're different, and we honor her because we're the same. The honor is on two fronts. One is natural, one is supernatural. We honor her because in the natural, we're different. She's a weaker vessel, and I care for her. I make sure there's burdens. I have no problem telling you that even as the pastor of this church and the president of this corporation and everything I get to do and preaching here and there and, and being a guest minister or whatever, I still call my wife and say, what can I do for you? What do you need me to do? Are you okay if I go caving this Friday? What do you need me to help with? What, what direction do you need? I, even last night in bed, I said, honey, am I doing a good job giving you vision? And she said, I don't know. Let me think about that because I want to make sure I give her the vision she requires because I'm the visionary. She can only connect with what she's caught. So we want to make sure we honor her, uh, our wives, as the weaker vessel. You're lifting burdens off her. Do the dishes. There's nothing wrong with a man doing the dishes and doing the yard work. There's nothing wrong with a man changing diapers or vacuuming. I understand culturally there's some things your culture looks down upon. But if your wife needs help, honor your wife more than your culture. Your culture didn't give you babies. Your wife did. You don't have sex with your culture. You have sex with your wife. And if you like sex, honor who you have sex with. Amen. Uh, there's parts of America I'm not proud of. I'm happy to flush anything that doesn't line up with the Bible. If it makes my marriage glorify God, I'll flush everything that's American or white or Southern or cookful. You should be willing to flush anything that's your favorite color too. Amen. Trying to see if I have permission to say it. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Dr. James, you being an African-American, a successful one with no excuses or victim mindset, you'll have to cover me on security. <laughs> While we deal with culture here, let me say this. We don't have permission to exalt culture over the word of God. We don't have permission to exalt color over the word of God. One of the things we observe in the LGBT community right now is they exalt and are defined by their sexuality. That's all they're known for. They, they, now, granted, there's a, a big swath of their, that population that says, I'm just a gay man. I just want to have a business. I just want to live life. I just want to live and let live. Just let me be a gay man on my business. Fine. But we understand that the, the radical movement of LGBTism, they, they are nothing but their sexuality. They cannot define themselves apart from that. I'm observing right now in America, the black culture can define themselves apart from nothing but their blackness. It isn't I'm a husband. It isn't I'm a business owner. It isn't that I'm a child of God. It's I'm a black American. I'm a POC. And you got to be careful with that because you're going to start to make Jesus Christ bottom of your list. And the devil loves, thank you, another African-American agreeing with me. There's a problem when we exalt anything over Jesus Christ, whether it's whiteness or blackness or our black experience or our white experience or our gay experience. When you exalt anything above the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're into heresy. You're treading upon waters that is Christ denial because there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, male nor female. So you've got to make sure, just like the homosexuals, not all of them, some of them, they just want to live and let live. I totally get it. Some of us, some in America, they can see themselves apart from nothing but blackness. And that means your color and whatever your unified diaspora experience is, that's your God. 
That makes it idolatry. That makes it heresy. That makes it Christ denial. And I hear this from people, black folks that are some of the whitest people I've ever met. But we know it's a culture that tells other black people, don't forget you're black. What does that even mean? I had one of our dear ladies years ago. She was still in high school. She came to me. She's graduated now and off, married and doing great. She said, Pastor, I had my black friends at high school tell me, don't forget you're black. I said, what do they mean by that? She said, I'm not really sure what they meant. I said, well, are you black? Yeah. Did you forget you were black? No. I said, here's what they meant. They want you to be ghetto. Pastor Okwokwa was alive in those days. My, my dear father in the faith. He's in heaven now. I said, sweetie, is Pastor Okwokwa black? And she said, yes. I said, do you think they want you to be like him? That is an ignorant, racist mindset that exalts a debaucherous culture above Jesus Christ. Don't forget you're black. What you're saying is I'm supposed to act a certain way to be accepted by you. Otherwise, I'm an Uncle Tom. Awfully quiet. Shall we get back on family again? I will throw you out the statistic. 85% of African Americans are born illegitimate. 85% of African Americans are born illegitimate, fatherless. That's a cultural problem. It's not God's best, nowhere near. And it's a culture that perpetuates because it's a statistic that's only gotten worse since the 1960s. Not picking on blacks, picking on culture. Amen. All right, let's change it up. We got a little heavy there. You tiptoe in. All right. What aspect of what I just said is inaccurate? Nothing. You're just not conditioned to hearing the truth. I like what somebody said. If the truth makes you uncomfortable, don't be offended at the truth. Be offended at the lie that made you comfortable. All right. I'm not even to the verse I want to get to yet. Honor your wife on two counts. She's not equal. She's completely equal. She's not equal in her frame. She's completely equal in Christ as a joint heir of the grace of life. That your prayers be not hindered. Husbands, we take care of our wives. If your prayers aren't being answered, it's because of how you're treating your wife. You have to respect her. You have to give her equal say, get her input. You'd be a fool not to get your wife's input. Take care of her. She's not as strong as you. You, you boast yourself some big burly man, prove it. Take some burden off of her. Say, honey, you sit down. Let me cook dinner. You sit down. Let me do the dishes. You sit down. Let me clean the house. Honey, you go take the girls. You go get your little manny and pedicures or whatever. Let me and the boy or the boys just take care of everything. Take burdens off your wife. Don't treat your wife like a borrowed mule. That's, that's an old American expression is, I need to do some hard work. I'm going to borrow my neighbor's mule. It doesn't matter how bad I mistreat it because it's not my mule. It's going to plow this field for me. And then the other expression is put them up, uh, road hard and wet. A horse just beat down and put up exhausted. When a horse is put away wet, they can get sick and, and beat down. So road hard and put up wet, which means you've just totally mistreated a horse and they won't give much to you after that. Now, here's the verse I want to go to. Uh, yeah. Ephesians, real quick, two, two verses, then we're going to do communion. I did not advance this for, as far as I wanted to this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Let's deal with husbands. Let's slap us husbands around a little bit. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loves the church. That is how we're to love our wives, just like Jesus Christ loves us. And if we look at this picture here, do you really think Jesus Christ is the one riding on the church? Like this picture from Zimbabwe. No, I think we're the one that rides upon Jesus Christ. And he graces us with help, with wisdom, with the power of God, with direction, with tools. Anything we ask for in, in accomplishing his vision, he gives it to us. He doesn't expect us to do it all. We're co-laborers together with him. In your marriage, you co-labor together with your wife. Help her. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands are to give themselves for their wife. What are you laying down that your wife might have it easier? That he might sanctify and cleanse 
it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So men, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord does the church. Our job as husbands is to love our wife, to nourish her and to cherish her, to treat her as our own body, to take care of it, to pamper her because she has a lot of work to do. We understand that wives, according to 1 Peter 3, they have the grace and the ability to adapt themselves to us. If our wives had married a different man, they would have totally adapt themselves to that man. Men typically don't adapt. We do what God's called us to do. Wives end up adapting because they're the nurturers. They're the caregivers for the children. They, they're the governess of the home. Men don't have to do as much adaptation as women do. But because women are doing all the adapting, we've got to be able to cut our wives a lot of grace, a lot of nurture, a lot of cherishing, a lot of washing of water by the word of God, a lot of encouragement. Brag on your wife. Say, honey, I'm impressed. You're doing an amazing job. Tell your wife every once in a while. Make her feel good. Honey, you make my life easier. I hope I do something in return. And it, it's got to be more than just roses, chocolate, and a ring. Sometimes they, that doesn't mean anything to them because you've neglected them and made them do all the heavy lifting. She, sometimes she doesn't want a flower. She wants a shoulder up. Sometimes she doesn't want a box of chocolate. She wants you to cook dinner so she can put her swollen feet up because she's pregnant with your fourth child and you do nothing. Amen. Remember, your wife is a daughter of Jesus Christ. She's not your sex slave. Amen. Amen. Some of you deal in trafficking. You just traffic her to the grocery store and traffic her to the laundromat and traffic her to the bedroom and traffic her to the kitchen. And How are you any better than some of these weirdos out there? She's more than this, your sex object. She's supposed to be your best friend and she's the bride of Christ. So you better treat her like a woman and care for her. Because you'll get the graces of God out of her if you'll nurture her and care for her. There's more in your wife than you realize, but you'll break her if you don't properly walk together with her. We've used the example for years. Your wife is like a Swiss army knife. She has so many tools in her, so many graces. I've got a Swiss army knife. There's stuff in there I don't even really know what it is. I had to like study the instruction manual because it has about, I think this knife I've got to have about 36 or 40 different tools I didn't even know some of those things needed to be in a knife, but I could see how you might need them in a situation. Your wife is the same way. There's things in her you have no idea are there, but you're too busy using her as a hammer. And if all you do is use her as a hammer and she's a Swiss army knife, you're totally misusing her and you'll break her. And you'll never get the fullness out of her that God has put in her for your assignment and your vision. Now, let me change it up because I've just got a few minutes left here. As a husband, you have an assignment from God, whether it's to be a business owner or ministry of helps or a preacher or a doctor or to raise godly seed. Your assignment alone can't be done without your wife. That's why God gave you a wife. She has graces in her that you have to have to finish your race. And if you don't treat her well and figure out how to unlock those, you'll both be frustrated. You're, you're coupled together. If you believe you married in the will of God, you've got to believe you're coupled together by the divine hand of God. And she has graces that you need. That's why she didn't marry somebody else. And she has abilities and talents in her that your assignment, your vision, your, your foreordination from God requires. That's why God put you together. But if you just continue living as American couples, kind of in good old 1950s Americana or 1970s, we're going to chase money and have a big old house and a swimming pool in the back and four cars and five pets. If that's what you're going to use her for, it's all wasted. Because the name of the game is not money, 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 money. The name of the game is what does Jesus Christ ordain us to do for him? Even if you're not full-time ministry, there's still a divine calling, a divine assignment, and your wife's been given to you, not just because you're lonely, because that's not the calling, not just to have sex, but to accomplish a purpose. It's more than just coming home to a nice house and having sex on Friday night. Marriage is meant to accomplish the will of God, to grow his garden, to expand his garden. Furthermore, the two of you together, if you're in agreement, Matthew 18 says, Jesus Christ will do anything for you. You have the instant prayer of agreement if you guys can get along in between prayers. 
If you can't get along, if you're exploiting and misusing each other, it doesn't matter what we saw in 1 Peter 3, 7, your prayers won't be answered anyway. So it behooves you to treat her well. It behooves her to ask her, what do you need? Husbands, you ought to be able to look to your wife and say, what do you need out of me? What can I do to make your life easier? What can I do to lift burdens for you? The Bible tells us that we're to uh, carry carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. Your job as a husband is not to find your wife's graces and then exploit them so you don't have to do jack squat. What are her graces and then use it to build the kingdom? This is how it works. Ladies, you have things in you that will not be unlocked without a husband. Husbands, you have an assignment from God that cannot be accomplished without your wife. And we're married together more than just on paper. We're married together. It's almost like I'm the engine, my wife's the clutch. Together we engage the back wheels and we go. If I grind the clutch, if I break the clutch, if I misuse the clutch, if I dump the clutch, all my horsepower is wasted. At the same time, if she never submits when the clutch is released and engage and all that, her job is wasted as well. The engine does not work apart from the clutch. Wheels don't turn without the clutch, without the clutch plate. So we've got to get together on this. It's not just I'm lonely, I'm, I like you, you like me, let's get married. It's more than that. We've got to come up out of this just existing, which is what most of America does. We just exist till retirement. We get married, we think about the first kid, we think about the next vacation, then we think about investments, so we can hurry up and retire and do what? There's more to it than this. So... Verse 29, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even, uh, even as the Lord of the church. Nourish and cherish there is critical. It means to foster, to support, and to train. So if we're applying this to Christ in the church, we know that he fosters, supports us, and trains us. And yet this is applied to the husband and his wife. Husbands are to foster, support, and train their wives. That is not an insult to a wife. It's not like we, the feminists have this new term called mansplaining. And that's where you like we insult you by explaining because we don't think, you know, I have been woman-splained on many things, and I don't, I'm not offended by it. My wife has this, like the lady on the airplane, that woman's flirting with you. She had to woman-splain that to me. I'm not offended. There's things she knows I just don't get. It's because she's different. So don't get in all this junk about mansplaining. Like, my wife doesn't understand stuff I know. I explain it to her. I mansplain it. It is dumb, isn't it? We're being indoctrinated to be offended at everything so that then we can be used to tear each other apart. It's retarded. Does that word offend you? Quit being such a wuss. <laughs> Lord of mercy. So there's certain things I train my wife. I nourish her. I give her support. Whatever she needs, I give it to her. But also I got a trainer. Honey, I need things done this way. Just like she would a boss. But the thing is, we're not always in the boss worker mode. This is just in this moment, this is how I need things run. And then I turn the household back over to her because she's the governess. Now, let, let me get to this verse because we're not going to be able to cover this all. This is where I wanted to start this morning. And we're out of time. But that's all right. We've just been covering all this nice and sweetly. It bugs me that I'm watching conservative evangelicals throw their hat in the ring and all this feminism and all this wokeness. And I reject <laughs> All of it. I reject all of it. (laughs) There's a big push right now to exalt all the women of the Bible because apparently women can't understand anything in the Bible unless it's a woman's experience in the Bible. The Bible tells us there's salvation given under no other name but the man, Jesus Christ. Pastor Vaughn used to say years ago, if you hate men, you're going to have to go to hell because Jesus Christ is a man. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Paul, the apostle, writing by the Holy Ghost. Verse 5, King James Version reads it the best. Have we not authority or power to lead about a sister, a wife? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife? Paul's saying, he reveals a lot in this passage. But he says, the husband, the man is authorized to lead. That's his position of authority. And when he leads a sister, that makes her a wife. I make the argument and the point that if you're not leading your wife, you're just married to a sister. But wife is a role. It's an office that you need to be graced for. Just like if you don't take care of your husband, you're not a wife. You're just a roommate. 
There's something that sets it apart. You don't just have a marriage certificate, have a mortgage you share and have sex. You lead and you support and you follow and you aid. And this is the relationship that makes it different. But the authorization comes to lead, which means if your wife is lacking something, you lead her. The word lead is the same word used in Romans 8, which says those as many are led by the Holy Ghost. Same word. So it means one has authorization to take somebody in a place they don't know yet. If you're the visionary, you're taking your family in a place they don't know yet. And your wife is graced to help you get there. So you've got to communicate. The number one complaints I have when I, I hear when I help marriages is kind of a twofold thing. Number one, I need better communication from my husband. And number two, I need to know what we're doing. The biggest frustration from our wives, hear me men in this church, I need more communication from my husband and I need to know what we're doing. Where are we going? Because if you can tell your wife where you're going, if you even know, she can hook up with you. She, not in that tender sense, that gender, you know, Z generation. But if, you, you know, if you're married, you can hook up. It's called conjugal rights. Amen. It's good stuff. If you communicate with her, more of that will happen too. But if you can tell her where you guys are going, she knows how to join her faith and activate her grace. But if, if you just, you're just living for Friday and for the next sexual encounter, you're a selfish, shallow man. Amen. The authorization is to lead a sister, and that makes her a wife. It tells us a few things. You only marry believers because it's called a sister. You have no permission to fall in love with a non-believer. You have no permission to like a non-believer. It goes for ladies, too. Just because some dude's handsome, got muscles, and shows you interest, that don't mean nothing. He might beat you with those muscles. Also tells us you've got to find a man that's already demonstrating leadership. The other complaint, because it goes hand in hand with that one, is that my husband just doesn't lead us. Never date a man who can't lead. You ought to be able to see leadership in them. I'm teaching my kids how to lead. Children have to be taught leadership. Boys have to be taught leadership, decision-making. If you have no leadership while you're dating, marriage ain't going to make it better. I, I would say this with ladies. If you're doing all the work now in your dating relationship, it's going to be worse when you're married because you're not authorized to do all the work. <laughs> Only fall in love with a man that has leadership and knows where he's going. You don't have to know the end from the beginning, but you better know next year from today. This is what frustrates women because they know I'm stuck behind this guy. Don't be the bottleneck in your wife's destiny. And I say this every year. I'll stop here. I got more notes, but we'll stop here. Husbands, you are the gatekeeper to your wife's quality of life. You are the gatekeeper to your wife's quality of life. And let this weigh heavy on you because I want to exalt our sisters in Christ and esteem them and, and let you know how valuable they are to Jesus Christ. I throw this out every once in a while. If another man would treat them better and provide for them better, shame on you. Why aren't you that man? If another man would love your wife better, treat her better, support her better, provide for her better, why are you not that man? And, and we know what our wives need. We just got to be humble enough to give it to them. Humble enough, determined enough to make the change within ourselves. I don't want my wife to get to the end of our life and feel like she was robbed of 20 or 30 years or, or think I could have married somebody else and had a better home. My kids been better, had a better outcome. I, I, I don't want my wife to have any regrets in our marriage. Your job as a man is to be like Jesus Christ, to love her as Christ loves the church. When we get to the end of our lives, we won't have any regret that we can point towards Jesus. He will have done everything perfectly. As husbands, we've got to aim to be that. We'll fall short a little, but you've got to aim to be everything your wife needs you to be. If somebody else would treat your wife better, be that person. Get your heart fixed. Get your heart wrapped around it. Love her, adore her, provide for her. Make her never wish she'd have married somebody else because I've heard it in this church. I've heard it. I've probably heard it no less than Oh, five, eight, ten times. Maybe I should have married somebody else, Pastor. Maybe we should have waited another three or four years, and if we did, maybe we would have never gotten married. You don't need to be thinking that way. But if you are thinking that way, somebody's failing in the marriage. So even though the husband is the head, it's a tremendous responsibility. 
And you need to make sure you treat her as Christ does the church, which means anything she asks for, you do your best to supply it. As long as within the biblical constraints, we get that. But don't make her frustrated. Don't frustrate your wife. Don't, don't let your wife's life be defined by frustration, neglect, and exhaustion. Be the man you fancy yourself to be. Amen. Awfully quiet again. I didn't even get racial on that one. In this church, we're equal opportunists when it comes to exposing sin. I refuse to let the exaltation and your worship of black keep me from exposing the sin that is black. Nor your white rednekedness. I will stomp on white as well. Nor your feminism, nor your masculinity. I got to preach down the middle of the road. Sin is sin. It's not my fault you worship your color or your gender. Thank God you're in agreement. There's only two genders. Amen.